0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, if you would grab them and turn with me to the book of John. John chapter number 20. And before we jump into our scripture reading this morning, we would want you to know that there is no one else like the Lord Jesus Christ in all of the universe. That's really what today is. It's a celebration. Not of a place, not specifically even of an empty tomb. It's a celebration of what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he resurrected from the grave. We don't worship at a tomb. We worship a person. And the person that we worship is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nobody like him. And we build our faith on him. Our faith, the Christian faith, is one that is built on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, what was Christ's work? What was Jesus' work? Jesus' work was his life, death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. And today what Easter is, is Easter is a celebration of the completed work of Christ. That Christ came and completed and accomplished all that he intended to accomplish by coming to this earth. Namely, that he died on the cross for the sins of all of the world. And it's better than just that He died on the cross for the sins of all the world. He died on the cross for your sin and for mine. But that Jesus did not just merely die. But they took Jesus down off of that cross, they laid Him in a tomb... ...and then three days later Jesus resurrected from the grave. Literally, physically, Jesus walked out of the tomb and then he ascended 40 days later to the right hand of the throne of God. And there Jesus sits, ever making intercession for all those who believe in him. So What that means is what Jesus and God are talking about right now is Jesus and God are in a conversation about you right now. How does that make you feel? See, that's what the Christian faith is. That's where the Christian faith is placed. It's placed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we believe in Jesus and we preach Jesus, Him crucified, buried, and resurrected from the grave. And the reason we believe that and the reason we preach that is because that message by itself is the message that those early believers, those early Christians, that they took all throughout, not just Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria, all across the Mediterranean rim, and then eventually all throughout the world. That's what we celebrate. That's what we preach even here this morning. We believe a Christian faith. The Christian faith says three things, and you have a handout because we want you to take some notes so that you can remember this later on. The Christian faith says three things. The Christian faith first, it rests in truth. It rests in truth. If you read the Gospels, there's something that that is very familiar, that that comes up in every gospel that you read. Jesus keeps talking about this idea, the idea of the third day. Matthew chapter 17, Mark chapter number 8, John chapter number 2, Luke chapter number 9. In fact, Jesus talks so often about the third day that even his enemies noted it. The the enemies of Jesus went to Pilate and they said to Pilate, hey listen, he's talked and talked about the third day. You need to send extra guards to the tomb in order to make sure that something does not happen on the third day. Where we pick up in our scripture reading in John chapter number 20 is the morning of the third day. So look at verse number one. It was the first day of the week, but it was the third day that Jesus had been buried. So it's the first day of the week. And then cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher. So Mary Magdalene is on her way to see the tomb that they have buried Jesus in. And she seeth the stone... So this large rock that was rolled over in front of the tomb, she seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And then she runneth and she cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved. And she saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they had laid him. So this is the third day after Jesus has died. It's the first day of the week. And what I want you to realize is there is no one outside of the tomb expecting a resurrection. Peter and John and James and Thomas and all of his disciples, none of them are there. No one's outside of Jesus' tomb. The third day after he was buried going, Ten. Nine. Eight, do it with me, seven. Do it with me, six. It's, eight, it's the eight o'clock service, so we're not gonna do very good, I understand. But, but nobody is outside of the tomb anticipating. No one is outside of the tomb expecting Jesus to come out of the tomb. For as much as Jesus talked about the third day, for as much as Jesus talked about destroy the temple and I'll build it back three days later, for as much as Jesus said things like as Jonah was in the belly of the well, so the son of man will go into the heart of the earth. And then three days later, rise. no one's there. No one's anticipating this. No one's expecting this. Even his most loved followers, even those most true, loyal companions, even them. And no one anticipates a resurrection. In fact, no one's even at his graveside. No one is even at the tomb. And yet here comes this one named Mary. Look, look at it again. This is the first day, verse number one. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it's dark to the sepulcher. But notice what she finds. She finds, she seeth the stone taken away. She finds the tomb empty. You say, Pastor, what is the Christian faith? The, the truth that it rests on, what is the truth? It is this truth. It is the truth that Jesus' tomb was found empty. John wants us to understand Jesus rose from the dead. John wants us to understand that Jesus resurrected from the grave. Jesus was not simply resuscitated back to life. Jesus was resurrected in that there was no life found in him. Three days later he rose victoriously over the grave. So much so that he notes the phrase, the stone taken away. Now the stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that the witnesses could see in. A resurrected Jesus doesn't need someone to open the door for him. You remember a few days later the disciples are hiding in the upper room? And Jesus shows up, the door is locked for fear of their lives. And Jesus shows up, he doesn't knock on the door and ask them to let him in. Jesus just walks right right through the wall. Why? Because a resurrected Jesus doesn't need you to move the stone in order to let you out. They moved the stone so that the witnesses could see in. When Mary arrives, she sees the stone removed from the tomb. And notice Mary assumes the worst. The Bible says she runneth She turns, verse number two, then she runneth. She spun around and she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. That's John. So she turns around and she runs to get Peter and John. But notice what she tells them. Look at the last phrase of verse number two. Notice what she tells them. They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Do you see that? Again, no anticipation of the resurrection. Now how the Easter timeline go, it goes is that when Mary turns and she runs to get Peter and John, the other ladies, the other women, Jesus' mother, Salome, that's James and John's mom, they show up at the tomb and the angel speaks to them and says, He's not here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus is risen just as he told you so. And the other ladies turn and they go find the other disciples. But Mary Magdalene is running for Peter and John. Look at verse number three. And then Peter, therefore, went forth. So she says to them, they've taken him. He's gone. Peter goes there forth and the other disciple to and came to the sepulcher. So they both ran together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter. Do you see that phrase? That's John. That's like a humble brag. John's like, I'm faster than Peter. Just so you know. She told us both at the same time and we both started running together. But I outran him because he's slow. You say, well, why? Why is John faster than Peter? Well, simply because Peter is older. The older you get, the slower you become. Can I get a witness on that point right there? Right. The older you get, I dropped something the other day, and I literally thought, should I bend down and pick that up? I just don't even. At this point, I don't even know if it's worth it. Hey, Gabriel, come get this. She outruns Peter to the grave. John gets there first. Look at at the count. Verse number four. So they ran together. John outruns him. In verse five, he, John, stooping down, looking in. So John is thinking. He sees the linen clothes laying and he yet went went not in. Then Peter shows up, right? This is verse number six. Then cometh Simon Peter following him. And went into the sepulchre. So John was faster, but he hesitated. Peter was older and he's just brazen. He's the free spirit. And he just went right on in, right? He just barges his way into the tomb. And when he gets in, he sees, verse 7, the napkin. That was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes and wrapped together in a place by itself. So the, 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 the linens that they would have wrapped or mummified Jesus in, Jesus has taken them and he's folded them and he's neatly placed them onto the tomb or in the tomb where he was laying. Jesus folds his clothes. Let that be the lesson that you go home with Easter from, Right? Jesus wants you to fold your clothes. and Notice, they go into the sepulcher, and then look at verse number 8. Verse number 8, then went in the other disciples. So now John goes in, so Peter goes in, he sees Jesus is folded clothes. Then John goes in, which came first, just so you know. I, by the way, I got here first, that's what he's saying. And he saw and believed, verse number nine, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he, speaking of Jesus, must rise again from the dead. You say, what did John see? What did John believe? John saw that Jesus wasn't there. John saw some of Jesus' clothes that he had left behind. John saw that. So what does he do? John sees and believes, and then he begins thinking, he begins wondering, he begins He begins mulling it over. What what must this mean? But, But you know what no one is doing? No one is going, yes, we told you so, man. Yes, he called his shot. Yet no one's doing that. They, they're seeing. They're wondering. They're believing. But what are they, What's John believe? He believes the facts. The tomb is empty. The clothes are left. They have taken away Jesus' body. You have the empty tomb. The Christian faith is built on the empty tomb. The Christian faith is built on the eyewitness testimony that Jesus resurrected from the grave. So you have Peter and John who go away. Mary stays at the tomb. She has this interaction with the angels. We'll get to that in a minute. But then verse number 14, look at this. And when she had thus said, so she, after she has this conversation with the angels, when she had thus said, she turned herself back and she saw Jesus standing and she knew not that it was Jesus So this is the first eyewitness to the risen Christ. The first person to see the risen Christ is this lady by the name of Mary Magdalene. Now here's what you need to hear. That she was the first eyewitness, but she was not the only eyewitness. Mary is the first one to see the risen Savior, but she is not the only one to see the risen Savior. In fact, Jesus appears to the disciples in verse number 19 to verse number 23 of this text. Jesus appears to Thomas in verse number 24 to verse number 28 of this text. Paul says that Jesus appears to him on the Damascus Road. And then Paul later records in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus had appeared to over 500 witnesses at one time. In fact if you read the New Testament account what you'll find is you'll find that Jesus appeared over a, over 10 different occasions to separate people. He appeared. He showed himself alive after the crucifixion and the burial. He showed himself alive to hundreds of people who saw him, who believed in him, who touched him, who heard him, who fellowshiped with him. They even even ate lunch together. And as a result of those hundreds of people having seen the risen Savior, thousands come to believe They believe. Why? They come to believe what? They come to believe the report of those early eyewitnesses that Jesus did in fact resurrect from the grave. The Christian faith is built, it rests on truth. What truth? Two great truths. The tomb was empty and the eyewitnesses saw Jesus alive. But let's keep going. Look at verse number 11. So the disciples in verse 10, they go away, they go back to their home. Having known a what? Having known that the tomb was empty. Verse 11, but Mary. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. So Mary stands outside of the tomb. This is, this is remarkably significant. And here's why. Because Jesus shows himself first to this lady by the name of Mary Magdalene. Now when we first meet Mary in the Bible... She's simply referred to as Mary, which is called Magdalene. It's Luke chapter number 8 is her account. And in Luke 8 it says, And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. Okay, so we, we don't know what Mary's sins were, but if she had seven devils in her, it was bad, right? I she, the Bible doesn't record what her actual transgressions or sins were. It just records that she was possessed of seven demons and that she met Jesus in that condition. And when she met Jesus in that condition, Jesus freed her, Jesus changed her, Jesus transformed her. And once she had met Jesus, she was all in. Because verse 3 says that she ministered unto him. So she served Jesus, notice, with all of her substance. And so it doesn't tell us what her sins were, it just tells us that they were great, seven devils. And then it tells us that her love for him was also great in that she not just followed his ministry, but that she funded the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even so much so that when Jesus is being crucified in John chapter 19, do you know who is there? Mary Magdalene. When Jesus is buried, do you know who was there? Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus resurrects from the grave, do you know who is there? Mary Magdalene. Why? Why is Mary attending even the worst part of Jesus' ministry? Why? Because she loves him so much. Why does she love him so much? Because when you have been forgiven much, you love much. That's why. Because when you have been forgiven so much, like she was, seven devils changed, transformed, when you have been forgiven much, oh, you love so much more, but this is what I want to focus on. Here's why this is such a remarkable event. Because here is this woman with such a terrible past, seven devils, seven demons living inside of her and no significant role in religion. And yet she, this woman with a terrible past and no significant role in religion, someone who during that time, her word, her testimony would not even have been admissible in court. And yet Jesus shows himself alive to her. Not to the Apostles, not not to John who he loved, not to Peter who followed him faithfully, even crucified upside down, not to Thomas. He shows himself alive to Mary Magdalene. Why? What's Jesus doing? Why, Why is Jesus showing himself alive to her? Here's why. Because he's showing us that Christianity is a message of grace. Not a message of goodness. The Christian faith is a message of grace, not one of goodness. The message of Jesus Christ is a message of grace. We've defined grace here at First Baptist like this throughout the years. Undeserved favor from an unobligated giver. Undeserved favor from an unobligated giver. Mary in no way deserved favor or love or mercy from Jesus. She's a woman possessed of seven devils, and yet Jesus showed her favor. But God is in no way obligated to show favor. God is in no way obligated to give good gifts. God is in no way obligated to show love, and yet He does. That this is the measure of grace and this is the message of Christ. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Christianity says that it comes to those who are broken. Christianity is a message to those who are needy. Christianity is a message to those who are desperate, far from God. And you're not just far from God, you know you're far from God. And maybe you don't have seven devils like Mary Magdalene, but you have a truckload of sin that you hope nobody finds out about. This is really the question, isn't it? What will you do with your sin? The Christian faith is a faith that rests in truth, but the Christian faith, second, is a faith that comes through grace. So here is Mary, weeping outside of the tomb, stooping down, looking in, afraid to enter into such a holy place. She has this conversation with the two angels that are present in verse number 11. And then they ask her this question in verse number 13. And they say unto her, woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Again, no mention of the resurrection. No expectation that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the grave three days later. After this interaction, verse number 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and she saw Jesus standing, and she knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus, verse number 15, saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? And whom seekest thou? And she's supposing him to be the gardener. Now that's a funny line, right? She got him confused with the landscaper because those two are so similar, the landscaper and the Lord, right? If you are a landscaper, this should be your life verse right here. She's supposing him to be the gardener. And he asks her two questions. <laughs> question number one, why are you crying? And question number two, what are you looking for? Let's let's take both questions. Number one, why are you crying? She's crying because she feels abandoned. She's crying because she feels broken hearted. She's crying because she missed the Lord. Because all the progress that she seems to have made thus far in her life seems to be lost. Did you see how relevant this is for us? Because every person in this room knows this feeling. Every person in this room knows what it's like for life to come at you at such a pace that you feel wrecked, that you feel abandoned, that you feel broken. And yet in the middle of her brokenness, she has no idea that this is the way that God works. You see, we may feel abandoned, but hear me on this. This is the promise from the Bible. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. Do you see that? The resurrection of Christ shows us that even in our brokenness, even in our hurt, and even in our abandonment, God is always working for our good and His own glory. Notice that Mary almost misses the Lord. Mary, because she's consumed by grief, she's overwhelmed by her responsibilities, she only sees what she has lost. She almost misses the Lord. She supposes Him to be the landscaper. Hey, listen, it's okay to grieve and it's good to be responsible, but it is not good to miss Jesus. He wants to meet with you. You cannot and should not allow your grief or your burdens or your responsibility or your devils or your sin to cause you to miss what God has done for you. And you say, Pastor, what exactly has God done? John chapter 3 verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mary, why are you crying? God is working for your good, even in the middle of your brokenness. Mary, what are you looking for? Question number two. I love that question. Here is Mary. She is searching and searching and searching for Jesus, but she is searching in all the wrong places. Watch this. Mary is waiting at the tomb, hoping to find Jesus dead. Jesus is waiting at the tomb, trying to show himself alive to Mary. You see how different this is? Mary goes hoping to find a dead Jesus, hoping to just get his body. She even takes him on. She says, sir, wherever you have buried him, just tell me and I'll go get him. And yet Jesus responds to Mary. Verse number 16, and Jesus saith, look at it, and Jesus saith to her, Mary, just, just one word, just, just her name. And oh, how she knew that voice. She turned herself and she saith to him, Rabboni, which is master. And Jesus had one of those voices that you knew from a distance, right? And you could clearly tell that was Jesus' voice. And here is... Jesus answering to Mary. Matthew chapter 28 says that when the other women met Jesus later on... ...that the other women came up to him, took hold of him, and worshipped him, it says in Matthew chapter 28. The empty tomb is a great thing, but it is the resurrected Jesus that we worship. We do not worship a tomb. We do not worship a place. We do not worship a cross. We worship the person who laid in that tomb and then resurrected from it. We worship the person who died on the cross but was taken off of it. We do not worship a place. We worship a person, and that person's name is Jesus Christ. And Mary goes from the shock of being more sorrowful than she had ever been in her entire life to a moment of being more surprised, more exhilarating, more explosive joy than she had ever known because Jesus is alive. And so Mary does this natural response. She throws herself onto Jesus and she clings to him. As it's it's as if she says, I do not want to lose you again. She throws herself at at the feet of Jesus. She throws herself at the feet of Jesus. How do you get eternal life? Well, it's not by doing good. You can't do enough good. It's not by going to church, although I'm glad you're here. It's not by promising to be perfect because you won't be. You see, it's... It's by by one thing, it's by one way, it's from one person, and that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It is your relationship with Jesus Christ alone that determines your eternal destiny. Throw yourself onto Christ. Let go of all of your good works and all of your self-justifying attempts. Let go of all of your resolutions and all of your demons and devils, and which will leave you broken in the end, and throw yourself wholly onto Christ. You hear me on this, because thousands of people will go to church today And they'll tell you that Jesus is necessary for salvation. They will tell you that Jesus is a very important person in religion. But what they do not say and what they do not actually believe is that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is not simply important for salvation. Jesus is enough for salvation. All I need is Jesus Christ. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. No, it's according to his mercies that he saved us. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what devils you've faced. Jesus is not concerned about your past. Jesus can overcome your past and he can overcome even your present grief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the message of Easter. Throw yourself wholly unto him. But let's keep going. Verse number 17. And Jesus saith unto her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Two very interesting things. This is the first time Jesus refers to his followers as brethren. Jesus at first called them followers and then he called them friends. And now here he calls them brethren. Something else happens. Jesus doesn't simply refer to God as his father. Jesus refers to God as Mary's father, as the father of all those that believe. That's why we pray, "Our Father which art in heaven." That's why we say God is our father. Why? Because the work of Christ completed, adopted, brought us into the family of God. So we are no longer slaves. We are no we're not longer simply followers of Jesus. We are not simply friends of Jesus. We are Actually, brothers and sisters with the Lord Jesus Christ. Joint heirs, Paul says, with the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. Mary, in a sense, says, I'm never going to lose you again. This is her hope. I'm never going to lose you again. I'm never going to let you go. So she throws herself onto Jesus and she grips tight and she hangs on. And Jesus is saying to her, Mary, you don't, Mary, you don't understand, I, I am resurrected, I am back from the dead, but I'm not back from the dead like Lazarus came back from the dead, just back to my old life. He says, I've been raised to an entirely new dimension. I have an entirely new purpose now. And my purpose is to go to the Father. I have accomplished my earthly purpose. That was to pay for the sins of all the world through the sacrifice of myself on the cross. And now I ascend to God my Father to make payment for the price of sin which I hold in my hand. I'm ascending to the Father which is... Not possible for you to hang on to me. That's what he's saying. That's a funny image, right? Because at the end of the book, Jesus ascends up into heaven and there are hundreds gathered there that day that watch Jesus go up into heaven and Jesus is saying, Mary, you cannot hang on to me that long, right? Imagine standing there, wow, Jesus is going to heaven. That's neat. Who's hanging on to his feet? Is that Mary? She's going to fall. And Jesus ascends To heaven, but this is the great news. This is the news for you and for me. Jesus says, I will give you all the truth you need, I will give you all the love that you miss. But Mary, I have a work for you to do. So I send you to my brethren. See, the resurrection of Christ is about Christ giving us new life so he can give us new work. The resurrection of Christ is about Christ giving us new life. For what reason? Why why does he give us new life? Just so we can enjoy it and then get to heaven one day? No, no. He gives you new life so you can be about a new work. The Christian faith rests in truth. The Christian faith comes through grace. The Christian faith works in love. So verse number 18, I love how simple it is. Mary came, she told the disciples, I've seen the Lord. You see how different it is in verse number 18 to verse number 2? You see verse number 2? They've taken away his body. Verse number 8, no, I've seen Jesus, and he told me he wanted to tell you something. Her life now has meaning, her life now has purpose, her life now has direction how long have you shuffled through the routines of life with no purpose how how long have you gone through life just just occupying just existing wouldn't you like to have something to live for wouldn't you like to have a way to spend your living not just live your life Wouldn't you like to have a mission that you can give yourself to that will far far outlive you? And Mary found that. The disciples, in just a few verses, they'll find that. You can find that too, but the only place to find that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus did what no one was expecting, but Jesus far exceeded even their wildest dreams. Jesus takes no dreams from us that he does not return a hundredfold. Jesus raises no hopes in us that he will not himself fulfill. Jesus Jesus gives us longings that will be satisfied in him in the end. You say, Pastor, how does he do this? He does it three ways. Notice first, because he can heal our hurts. Because he can heal our hurts. He's everything we love eventually falls apart. Have you learned that already? Chronic illness racks our body. Cancer fills us with grief. Disease takes our minds, wrecks the body that we have left. What do you have that you can't lose by the end of the day today? Your health? Come on, you, you've lived long enough to know better than that. Some relationship with a husband or wife, with kids, with parents. you know better than that. What do you have that you can't lose by the end of the day today? That some sort of news couldn't just wreck whatever that is for you? You see it's only through the resurrection of Christ that we are shown that pain has an expiration date. God makes all things brand new and there comes a day that he wipes All tears from our eyes and he wipes them away forever. And he gives us far more than we ever dared to hope or dream or think. So many people are trying to hang on to 10, 20, 25 years, just 70 years here. If I can just get 40 years with my husband or wife, then I'll be happy. But see, Jesus wants to give you far more than that. And he wants to give you life and eternity with him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us that our pain has an expiration date because Jesus heals our hurts. He takes away our pain. He removes our sorrow. and Jesus can also fix our fears. Because of the resurrection of Christ, there is no place that we must go that God has not already been. You see, he goes before us. He moves in front of us. He, he does not expect us to enter into a dark room that he has not first entered into himself. The psalmist says, it's the valley of the shadow of death, but I will not fear it because thou art with me. And Jesus can heal our hurts and Jesus can fix our fears, but Jesus can defeat our doubts. You say, you know, you got, you got me wrong, Pastor. You, You don't know my situation. It's pretty bad. Hey, if Jesus can resurrect from the dead, then he can bring your dead marriage back to life. If Jesus can resurrect from the dead, then he can raise that dead friendship. If Jesus can resurrect from the dead, then he can resurrect that dead career of yours. If Jesus can resurrect from the dead, then he can fix whatever dead relationship it is that you have. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that because of Christ, we are in the end actually victorious. Whatever losing we do here, we actually win in the end because of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Satan reminds you of your past, when he points out your devils, when he shows you your doubt, remind him of his future. And what's his future? It's one of loss because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did on that first Easter morning.